You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to episode 137 of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. We have a great show planned for you today as Virginia Tech looks to go 2-0 on the season, going to Durham to play the Duke Blue Devils this Saturday at 4 o'clock. We break it all down on episode 137 of the Tech Sideline podcast that gets started right now. And welcome back into the Tech Sideline Podcast. It's so great to have you with us today. Whether you're watching live on Facebook, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on Stitcher. So many great ways to listen and watch to the Tech Sideline Podcast. We're glad you could join us as we record in the afternoon for a change. We're recording in the afternoon on Thursday, October the 1st. Hard to believe that September has already passed us by. We've got the best crew here today, as always, our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart. He's the best producer in the land behind the scenes, taking your Facebook Live questions. He is Malcolm Stewart, and I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. A reminder that this week and every week, the Tech Sideline podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. The Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia, and to date, the firm has defended tens of thousands of people charged with moving violations. For a free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031, or you can email the Fisher Law Firm at info at fisherlegal.com. Gentlemen, great to be back with you. Good afternoon as we record at uh, 1 o'clock on Thursday. It's a big day for Chris Coleman. Big week for Chris Coleman, folks. First of all, the Atlanta Braves are in the playoffs. They won in 13 innings yesterday. Uh, yeah, I got rep- to watch the last four pitches of the game. Uh, in a 13-inning thriller. Yeah. By the way, it's the longest scoreless baseball game ever to go into the playoffs. Scoreless after 12 innings. Right. That's a record. And guess really? what? It's still uh, Today's game is 0-0. Zero to zero in what, what, inning is it? what inning? Bottom is it? of the third. Okay. Yeah, so but, scores, yeah. so it was a 1-0. And then today, Chris, you're wearing the Tottenham shirt. Why are you wearing the Tottenham shirt today? Uh, they've got a big uh, group stage qualifier today against an Israeli team. It should not be close, but it's so, soccer, so, so we'll t- if Tottenham and the Braves are on at the same time, who, who do you watch? Depends. Uh... Honestly, uh, uh, a baseball game could take like three and a half hours. So I could potentially like watch the whole Tottenham game and the baseball game still in the fifth inning when right. it gets done. So, Or if you're like uh, me, you could just DVR them both. And, you a, know. And a, ba- a, a baseball game is a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. 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 Uh, Will, it's, uh, we're, again, a little sense of normalcy. Last week preparing for a game, a game under the belt. How are things over with uh, Tech Sideline right now on the website? How's everything going? This job is so much more fun when Virginia Tech plays and wins. 
than when we're all sitting through coronavirus. Um, I, I've, it's been a good week. I'll just put it that way. Um, uh, it, it's been a good week for the website. It's been a good week for everybody's attitude. Um, and it's what a relief. That's, I'll just leave it at that. I'm, I'm so glad to hear. We had a great podcast on Monday. If you're watching or listening to the Duke preview, this is the point of today's podcast. If you want to relive uh, the, the thrilling win from this weekend, we recap it all on Monday. Again, the same ways I mentioned earlier that you can watch or listen to, it is available there. And we mentioned the Fisher Law Firm, proud partner and sponsor of the Tax Online Podcast. We also have many other uh, sponsors this year. Southeast Regional Training Center. Next week, we're going to bring a shirt on the podcast, Will. Yeah, I feel bad. I uh, so Tech Sideline contributes twenty five bucks a month to Southeast Regional Training Center, um, and so every year we get the we get the shirt. And the first year it was a gray T shirt, very cool. Last year's T shirt was cool, it was a black T shirt. And this year's shirt, which I forgot to bring in today, is a long sleeve white, uh, very cool. I'll bring it in Monday and we'll, we'll show it off. Uh, so visit southeastrtc.com. There you have it. Well, I mentioned that we broke down nearly for an hour and a half, one of the longer podcasts we've done in quite some time, analyzing Virginia Tech's win over North Carolina State. And typically I don't do this on our preview podcast. We're kind of back to our normal format of breaking down the game on one podcast and analyzing and previewing the next on the other. But it was such a big win for Virginia Tech. It was such a big win for for football fans and for Hokie Nation having to wait six months for Tech football and Hokie sports to be back. A couple of days removed now from the last podcast we did, almost a week after the Tech North Carolina State game. Will, as it sit as it sat in, given all of the circumstances, twenty three players out, two full time coaches unavailable, that Virginia Tech was able to win the way they did last week. Has it sunk in yet? I, I guess you know um, there, there was there was a lot to take away that was really positive. Uh, one of the more fun things has been uh, watching the Brock Hoffman after effects. You know. Um, <laughs> I don't know if the pictures of him smoking a cigar had appeared on Twitter when we did our Monday morning podcast. I think it may have just come out that morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I wandered over into Instagram, which I don't go to a lot, and he was trolling Aline McNeil on Instagram. <laughs> and I, I think I, I put that on our message boards. I don't think I put it on Twitter. But he uh, put up a picture of, of him, uh, you know, lined up, getting ready to snap the ball. Of course, Aline McNeil in front of him. And Hoffman's caption said something like, uh, there's probably a pancake on this play or a tackle, as Aline McNeil would probably call it. <laughs> so he's the legend of Brock Hoffman is growing. And so th- th- this gets into, you know, um, Justin Fuente is not he, he's not big on emphasizing individual players. He want he wants it to be about the team. And he hasn't even, to my knowledge, hasn't even let his assistant coaches talk to the media in weeks and months, particularly not since coronavirus started. He makes football players available during the week because that's just part of the setup. On Monday, he does his thing. And then on Tuesday, they pick uh, three or four football yeah, players probably. Yeah, yeah. Four generally. And that's really the only time the football players get to go in front of the press. So they, they do some uh, post-game stuff also. Um. So that's that's the way he rolls, but but I maintain that you can have guys, if you let your guys express a little personality, then tech fans that really excites the fans about the program and it creates this bond with the program. Brock Hoffman is quickly becoming a legend for the for the cigar smoking and the talking smack on Instagram and for the story that came out the other day about how the ref, the officials came over to him four or five times during the game and told him to, quote, tone it down, unquote, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. 
tech fans are falling in love with Barack Hoffman. And now fortunately athletes have an outlet to get their personality out there on Twitter and Instagram. So they, they, they can at least go outside the normal channels. Um, but so that, that's, I kind of rambled on there a bit that that's, it's just been a lot of fun this week seeing stuff like that. Chris, your thoughts on the North Carolina State almost a week removed? Uh, I don't mind. Haven't really changed any. I think that game affirmed two things that we either hoped or expected or both, and that the offensive line is better and the running backs are better. Outside of that, we still there's still a whole lot of unknown. Um, I, I think. I mean. We don't even know how good of a defensive coordinator Justin Hamilton is because he hasn't been a defensive coordinator yet, right? He still might not be a defensive coordinator Probably this week. Probably not, right? Right. So his first game might be against UNC. And, again, you know, like like every other week, you know, we're not going to know who's healthy, who's not, who's, who's going to be available, who's practiced, et cetera, et cetera, on a week-to-week basis. So, I mean, I, I think the only thing I know so far – is that the offensive line is better and the running backs are better and sort of everything else is, is kind of on a week-to-week basis. So so let's get into Chris. Chris wrote an article yesterday, a subscriber article, an Inside the Numbers article, where he went through the pro football focus grades for all the different players and, and position groups and found that the, the surprise – so Brock Hoffman was named Offensive Lineman of the Week. ACC the, Offensive Lineman of the across Week. Across the entire ACC. And wasn't he – did you say he was the lowest grader yeah, on yeah, Texas offensive He was the lowest line? grader on the offensive line. Um, yeah. PFF can be a little bit harsh with their run blocking grades, I think. Although, then again, Luke Tenuta was almost perfect in run blocking this past week and got a really, really high grade. So, yeah. I think that says a lot about his performance. Uh, what what doesn't get taken to, into account on, in grading is the quality of the player you're going up against. Yeah. So, he's the lowest grader, but he also went up against NC State's best player, right? Yeah. So that's why he's ACC Offensive Lineman of the Week. It's because he more than held his own uh, against a really, really good player. Against a guy who'll be a draft right, right. pick somewhere. And, and that's why you can't focus in on grades for one game too much. You have to let evidence build up over time. This week it's going to be different. Uh, Hoffman's going to have a much better matchup on the inside. And, you know, Tanuda's going to have a tougher matchup at, at offensive tackle. So we could see the grades reversed. You know, we could see the results flip-flop this week. So you don't want to get too uh, too caught up in the minute game details. you got to yeah. let some evidence add up over time. So he also discovered that the defensive tackle grades weren't very good and, and mm. the linebacker grades actually weren't very good. No. But you know what you've got there. I mean, you know, Rayshard Ashby is a good football player, and Dax has, Dax has a lot of experience, and Tisdale's coming along. So. Those guys also didn't have a coach last week. Yeah. If, I mean, seriously, we, we don't know who's been practicing. Um, I don't even know who coached the linebackers during the game. I, I know. Like Tracy Clays was Tracy out, Clays Jack was Tyler out, was out. Tyler. There is no third-string linebackers coach. I mean, I don't know what they did, to be quite honest with you. There, there, was no, there was probably nobody who could consistently give them information on what they were seeing sure. and adjustments and things like that. Yeah. Well, I think Coach Fuente told Katie George at the ACC Network afterwards, and you know, I actually went and watched this interview yesterday. I mean, they were pulling people from the recruiting office to help uh, chart the chart board, plays, right? Yeah. Chart plays, and mm-hmm. I mean, it, you talk about a, a team effort across the board. Yeah, I mean, everybody was contributing to help prepare for that game. And and, and the only thing I want to add about that game is, as more and more time goes by, and this is relevant to the Duke game, which we'll talk about here in a bit. As more and more time goes by, and I said this on Monday's podcast. And I put it in my article. I think that was a pretty bad coaching job by NC State. I think they helped Virginia Tech in that game. Um, 
I think they left uh, Hockman, the starting quarterback, in there too long. No doubt. Asked him to do too much. If I was them, I would have just lined up and played smash mouth football on a on, on a team that had not was not in game shape. Virginia Tech and was going to be fatigued. And the weird thing was when it was seventeen nothing Tech, that's exactly what NC State did. They just they lined up and they double teamed the defensive tackles and and went right down the field and made it seventeen seven. Tech responded with a touchdown and NC State kind of got away from that plan, you know. So I just that's my other takeaway is. We don't know how bad NC State is, but I think they were pretty poorly coached. Yeah. Uh, that you night. know, Doran actually said it when they – he said we needed to coach better. He said that after the game. <laughs> yeah, he did. also said before the game when he got interviewed, he said – they asked, Virginia Tech has some guys out. You don't know who it's going to be. Um, and he's like, yeah, you're right. Um, we didn't know exactly how to prepare for this game. I found out right before kickoff that it's going to be Braxton Burmeister instead of Hendon Hooker. Uh, obviously, Tech pulled a fast one on their depth chart by listing Keonta Jenkins at Rover and Divine Diablo at free safety, and then they got to the game and completely flipped them. That's a huge deal that is, for, yeah. for, for an offensive game planner because you come out maybe designing the majority of your game plan to attack the short side of the field to go after the, young the, the true freshman, yeah. and then you go out there and you and it's flipped during the game, and then you've got to make that adjustment during the course of the game. So that's a bigger deal than people make it out to be. And then it's also – I've said before on this podcast, I was going to pick Virginia Tech to beat Penn State this year because there was no film on Virginia Tech. Yeah. There, there would have been no film on Virginia Tech's new defense or just one game against Liberty where Tech was going to be very, very vanilla. vanilla yeah. But I was going to pick Tech to beat Penn State because so little film available on Tech's defense and their scheme and how they were going to play and use their players and things like that. So I, I think that took some time to for NC State to adjust to. But the problem is, like, the NC State's defense was so bad that it was 17 nothing Tech just like that. And, and that throws the whole game out of right, right, right. And it's 17 to nothing, and that, that throws a lot of things out the window. Yeah. So a couple of uh, news about that game. You mentioned Brock Hoffman, ACC Offensive Lineman of the Week. That was uh, one award. Um, Athlon Sports named Ryan Smith Defensive Coordinator of the Week. <laughs> I wrote in Sunday's article, I said, if there's a, like a national – coordinator or assistant coach of the week it should be ryan smith yeah. and he won it that's a pretty uh high award and then kirk herbstreet always does man his, that, uh, that is a trivia question for the future i'm telling mm-hmm. you aflac trivia question yeah i'm telling you, that's going to be the one in the third quarter that you see you know who was the first defensive coordinator first <laughs> after, game, but, after oh, bud, bud foster, foster. Yeah. i think that'll be the uh the one from for years to come uh and then kirk herbstreet always does on twitter he ranks uh, the top five coaching jobs of the week and he put justin fuente at number four on uh, his list so uh those are some of the uh appreciate the kirk awards. backing me up like i said it was gonna be a good if, if they want it was a good coaching job and there, he was reading techsideline.com's article well uh which he you often know. did you know kirk quit dming me so much i don't have <laughs> okay. um We'll actually talk about Kirk Herbstreit a little bit later because we're going to talk about Duke. And to talk about Duke for this year, we have to bring up Duke from last year. But I promise we'll be uh, quicker on the last year Duke talk. We'll talk more about what to expect in week two. Let's talk about practice a little bit. You mentioned that uh, Coach Fuente spoke with the uh, media earlier this week, as did the players. He goes on Monday. The players go on Tuesday. There there wasn't a ton of takeaways, but essentially we still don't know the status of defensive coordinator uh, Justin Hamilton. And we don't know the status at this point of Hendon Hooker and his availability for this week so let's start with that quarterback spot if Hendon Hooker is available to play this week given the way Braxton Burmeister was able to move the offense last week what would you do if you're Virginia Tech how would you manage that quarterback rotation that we were expecting going into the year I think it depends on 
how practice this week goes. You know, Braxton Burmeister had missed over 10 days or about 10 to 14 days himself. He didn't return to practice, come out of quarantine until the Sunday before the NC State game. So he only had one straight week of practice heading into the NC State game. And then Hooker would have one straight week of practice heading into the Duke game, whereas Burmeister now would have had two. So I think it kind of depends on how quickly Hooker can kick off the rust and and everything like that. But all things being equal – you know, if they look equal in practice, then Hendon's your starting quarterback, and and you go with him. But they were going to play Burmeister anyway this year, so they're going to both play on Saturday, as far as I'm concerned. It br- it brings up interesting possibilities. Um, so the the book and time and games will tell you how true this is. The book is that Burmeister is better in the running game, and Hooker is better in the passing game. That doesn't mean either one of them's bad at the other. That's just where the two of them excel. So this is an opportunity for a coaching staff, if you're going to play both of them, to lay down film and lay down tendencies and then go against them at key later. times later. You know, And the famous heartbreaking example is national championship game way back in 1999, uh, critical fourth down. Uh, Florida State lined up in a formation where they had handed off to the big fullback every single time all season long, and Virginia Tech knew it. And that's the way they defended it, and Florida State pitched wide instead. So if you're taking the long view, you know, this is an opportunity if you're playing two quarterbacks to, like I said, lay out tendencies and baselines. If everything goes well, Virginia Tech should beat Duke, in air quotes, no problem. And these are games where you trust your guys to execute your basic stuff well enough where you can't, you don't have to get cute. Just lay down to, hey, look, when when Burmeister's in the game, we run. When Hooker's in the game, we pass more, you know. And and then that becomes a tool you can use against uh, UNC the following week because you've got tendencies on film and you can go against them and surprise them. It will certainly be interesting to see what the Hokies do. They certainly have uh, options at quarterback, as we've talked about. Yeah. I think Chris said it in a podcast where the season started. It's good to have two or even three quarterbacks because you never know. Fuente said all preseason, he's like, we're going to need all three of them at some point. And sure enough, game man, one. Game bro. one. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and by the way, uh, it, it was pointed out on uh, Twitter this week, uh, on Twitter, uh, Diablo fan account, a completion percentage in the country, six passes, Quincy Patterson. Number one in the country in completion percentage. So there's your uh, advanced my, uh, metric stat. My personal trainer is uh, Mitchell Ludwig, who was a starting punter at Tech a few years ago, and he completed that uh, the past the fake punt to Terrell Edmonds in the ACC championship game against Clemson. So I always tell him he led the country in passing efficiency that year. Chase Moomal, the fake punt against Oklahoma State a couple of years ago, he, he's one for one in his career. I know the guys at ESPN Blacksburg love to, uh, yep. to hype him up. Did Chase that, graduate? So. He did. Gra- yeah. Yes, sir. He yeah. graduated. And he was in he was in Bill Roth's SMA He was. Program, yep. Right? Yeah. yeah. Good to know. Uh, Chase went to my rival high school. So, anyways, good dude. Um, looking at this team in practice this week, and then we're going to spend a good amount of time on Duke, but I want to pose this question to you guys. So many positives from that game last week. The running game, the offensive line, a couple of guys breaking out in the secondary. Is there anything you would like to see Virginia Tech improve upon from week one to week two? What should the, the central point, the focus of practice be this week? Oof, the, the the defensive back play is is um, an area of concern. You're going to run into teams that can exploit it. And David Cutcliffe is is a guy who can scheme to to exploit defensive backs. Um so that's that's one thing I'll be looking at offensively. Man, I just don't know that there's there's a whole lot for improvement. Um, keep doing what third you're downs. doing. Right, two of nine on third down. You know, I forgot to point that well, out. They, in my they were both article. on the same drive, right? Yeah. 
Uh, mm-hmm. I, th- I think the the pass to Caleb Smith was on third down, and before that, that they hit James Mitchell on that on, on the that long. Yeah, I think so. And, both and, third and those downs. were both phenomenal plays by the receivers. That if they don't make them, you're over nine yeah, on third right. down. You know, so that's a good point. Uh, third down efficiency. Um, and so over on the defensive side of the ball, you know, we'll, we'll watch the linebacker play, but I think it'll get better. Um, and just from a team standpoint, how is their stamina during the game? Uh, yeah, interior on defense. Like you'd like to see the defensive tackles get in the backfield a little bit more. Um, but again, that was their first game. They rotated heavily a lot. Uh, we don't know who was even coaching the defensive line <laughs> during last week. Um, Because, you know, Sparber, the grad assistant who coached them during the bowl game last year when Charlie Wiles was in the process of going to NC State, he was out for for that game. Um, We know that – Tap and Tyrell – I don't think Tyrell came back till the day of the game. Right. Tap was in the booth and wasn't able to coach. So, like, I I don't even – was in the building. So, we don't even know if the defensive lineman had a coach all week. We heard it was Jared Hewitt, to be honest with you. I mean, we heard basically Jared Hewitt was player coach last week. So – you can't judge that game too much because there's just so much craziness going on. And you don't know – the thing Think about this, we're, we're either lenient on Virginia Tech or we're harsh on Virginia Tech because we know more about Virginia Tech. We know a lot about Virginia Tech's situation with coronavirus and coaches being out and players being out. We don't know anything about other schools for the most part. Yeah. Like, we don't know certain players for NC State, how much they were able to practice – we don't know the same thing about Duke, same thing about Carolina. We're going to know a lot more about Virginia Tech, and we'll either be overly harsh or maybe even too complimentary of them based on the information we know about Tech. But we're not going to know anything about the other team. Um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, Virginia Tech, let's say like two weeks from now, they go down there and steamroll UNC, and we're going to like, oh, man, Virginia Tech is awesome. And then it comes out after the game that, like, UNC was missing half their team for two weeks or something like that. Yeah. You know, so we, we're just not going to know. It, yeah, there, there's only so much you can read and follow throughout the week, particularly when you're producing your own content. Yeah. Good point about the third down. And, can, sorry. And we get all of our information like that from sources at Virginia Tech. We don't have any sources to, like, UNC and NC State and Duke and things like that. So our level of knowledge at Tech is about Tech is going to be up here, and for everybody else it's going to be down here. It'll be different for sure on a, on a week-to-week basis uh, for everybody moving forward. But I find that interesting. Two for nine on third down. There was so much good you almost forget about there was one thing that you could improve upon. Though. Yeah, so. no, no kidding. <clears throat> um, and I think also your wide receiver depth is still in question a little bit. There are going to be times this year where Virginia Tech is not going to rush for 314 yards in a game, unfortunately. And, you know, they weren't too good in the traditional passing game last year. They were very good in the smoke and mirrors passing game which is pretty much what they did in the first game this week against NC State, except for when NC State went man against Quincy and he just beat them in one-on-one coverage. But uh, can they execute a traditional passing game when they have to? We do not know that yet. There's there's no – we don't know that they can't, but there's no evidence that that they can. And is is, – go ahead. Well, no, I was actually just going to transition into uh, what we all want to talk about, the 2019 Duke-Virginia Tech game. So I was actually uh, going to ask a Duke question. I was going to ask Chris. uh, I mean, we know that Duke has a lot of experience on the defensive line, three seniors and and a junior. And I I just looked it up before going on the podcast. They have 81 starts between the four of them. Now, that skewed a little little bit. Victor Dimakaji, I think is how you pronounce it. Victor's played 41 games and started all 41 of them. 
and I believe it's the junior, I could be wrong, who's only started three games. Ben and Fry. the other guys have each started about 20 games, but there's a lot of experience on mm-hmm. that defensive line. Oh, there's a mistake on your roster card, by the way. Well, man, I told the fans to tell me if there were any mistakes. The weak side linebacker is apparently only 25 pounds. I'm guessing <laughs> that's supposed to be 225 pounds. Yeah, could yep. be. Good uh, catch. Yeah, All right, well, Rocky, let's, uh, Rocky Shelton the sorry, second, six oh twenty five pounds. pounds. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> we will we will talk a lot about this Duke defensive line, but I feel like it's important because it's been brought up on social media this week. It's been brought up and uh, when the players were talking to the media on Tuesday, just the fact that it's been just about over a year that Virginia Tech hosted Duke on a Friday night. Primetime football, honoring the 1999 team. Uh, Michael Vick was in the house, and Duke came into Lane Stadium and knocked off Virginia Tech 45-10. to A year removed from it, I can remember vividly walking into these offices that Monday morning and, and just kind of the vibe and the, like the podcast how, how that we How are we, we going to handle this on How are we going to talk about this? This way, remember just a really <laughs> – weird feeling that we I don't think we've had since just about how we were going to handle that podcast but when you think about that game a year removed what do you think about it you know I'm not as bothered by that game as most other fans are I know Will's really bothered by it he talks about it all the time (laughs) (laughs) here we are we're seven and ten since that game and he still talks about that man the q word rears its ugly head when we talk about that game um I uh wrote an article the day after that game saying it was time to go in a different direction at head coach and actually I waited two days to write that article instead of just being all emotional the next day yeah. uh, because that was a Friday night game and I normally I know write my articles on Sundays that's right I was general I was gonna go ahead and write it on Saturday but I was like let's go ahead and give it another day and I still felt that way on Sunday um, and it wasn't like an emotional article it was just like man here we are fourth year fourth game of the fourth year and they just the team just quit on him so it's time to move in a different direction clearly i was wrong <laughs> i mean that turned around uh one week later I, what i'll always remember about the duke game number one i got to tailgate with andrew jones and talk baseball with him so that's another reason where i like i don't hate the duke game like everybody else because it's actually one of the biggest highlight days of my entire life from being He's a, a fanboy boy. right exactly mm-hmm. Um, so that was a great day for me from that standpoint. I think what I'll remember from that game is the turnaround, not not just not just for Virginia Tech, but for Duke too. Like Virginia Tech is seven and three, and could easily be ten and zero. All those three losses were really really tight, and they didn't have Hendon Hooker for the Notre Dame game, and they didn't have their best defensive player for the for UK the other Kentucky two, yeah. games, right? Caleb exactly. Farley. So seven and three could be ten and zero. Um, could also be six and four if you will look at the Cincinnati game, but uh, or the or, or, excuse UNC, me, the UNC, UNC game. game. I'm yeah. sorry. Um, on the other hand, Duke is two and nine since that game. Duke's only wins since they stomped Virginia <laughs> Tech last year have been against a Georgia Tech team that was trying to run from the triple option. Exactly, exactly. And then they beat Miami last game of the season, but. Miami was also doing things like apparently going clubbing the night before games towards the end of the season. So Did they I lose think, to Louisiana Tech in their bowl game too last year? Miami? I don't. Th- I don't. I probably was last probably. year the year they lost to FIU. They lost to the FIU. Yeah, what came out of that game is uh, like a bunch of their players went out clubbing the night before the game. Um, uh, God, Mark, Mark Richt, 
great guy. I love him, but he looks terrible on the ACC network. He looks like his health is broken. That's what two years of coaching Miami football players will do to you. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Every... For a guy like Rick, I mean, I know he went to Miami, but he's not Miami culture at all. No, no, no. I don't think he realized what he was getting himself into, but that that's a tangent. <laughs> um, yeah, we're on a big tangent here. A, what was the original well, question? Well, the original question What is, do you remember about the Duke game? Because right. a lot of players have pointed to it on social media. They're just about remembering that game. A lot of the team is back from last year. So I'm, I'm getting to... Uh, I think one of the players, I forget who mentioned that Coach Wente said on Sunday, you know, that to not make it a revenge game, treat it like a normal week. But I'm sure that 45-10 score and the feeling of that game has to sit in just about every returner's mind going into this weekend. Uh, I, I just remember, I actually don't remember what I wrote after that game, but I do remember I tweeted after that game, well, you don't recover from this one. <laughs> and I was talking about Justin Fuente, and apparently you do recover from that one. Um you know what? I actually tortured myself by watching my DVR copy of that game a few months ago. God. And, you know, Virginia Tech <laughs> you led. You were really bored. <laughs> I believe. I don't know what led me to do that. I don't either. But I, I believe, or maybe it was on the ACC network and I just tuned in and looked at it. Um, I, I'm pretty sure Virginia Tech led that game three to nothing at the end of the first quarter. They did. I don't think Duke had a first down in the first quarter. They had five yards of offense, I think, in the right. first quarter. So, Tech, Tech was controlling that yeah, game. Yeah, they looked good. And then they, I believe they brought in Hendon Hooker. He fumbled. Oh, it was, it was a, uh, they tried like a, I guess it was a jet sweep. It was a handoff, a botched handoff option type play to a wide receiver. And, and the, yeah. yeah, and the very next play, Duke runs some sort of misdirection thing and Noah Gray's wide open for a touchdown. And then Tech just fell apart. Uh, it's, it's remarkable to see that within a game. And, and one of the things I think about when we talk about this is that, you know, there, there were several times in Frank Beamer's career where it looked like the team was getting away from him. Uh, was it the 2006 season with the with the 22 to 3 loss? Oh, when the players loss? were fighting on the sidelines. Fight, fighting on the sidelines, yeah. and uh, Brendan Hill was got caught dancing during and a time. In 2003, out. Ernest Wilford's uh, all incident dead. on the sideline. Actually, the whole 2003 season, the, the whole offseason between 2003 and 2004. We all we talked about is Frank Beamer lost the team. Can he get them back? Yeah, and, right. and so, but but he but he that they went zero and two to start out nineteen ninety five. So there were zero and two to start out twenty ten. So there were a number of times where Frank started out poorly and rallied him and, and got him to start playing better. And that's that's not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And we've seen Fuente do it as well. And that is not common. Um, so one question I have been yeah. looking forward to asking you all in doing this. I believe that there is always something good from something bad. Looking at that Duke game a year removed, you mentioned that Virginia Tech is 7-3 and three since, could very well be 10-0. and 0. Is there something good that happened from the 45-10 loss to Duke? I believe, you know, Fuente is not one to really open up and reveal his innermost feelings, but I believe that he had spent... Uh, a lot of the offseason after 2018 trying to change the way he related to the team, change the way he ran things. And after four games of 2019, now one of the things that bothered me, let's let's not just talk about the Duke game. When I watched Boston College beat Virginia Tech early that year, I thought Tech looked soft. I thought Boston College looked much more physical. Did you read the Tech Talk Live notes this week? Um, I, I know. Well, the quote I used in the game preview today. Yeah, it's about, it came from Monday. And that's came, where I'm headed. Right. Where yeah. where Fuente, after that Duke game, he, he did tell the press, he said, 
I saw a team that that I thought was soft, and I thought it was my fault. Words to that effect, yeah, right? Yeah. And and he changed whatever he changed. I think he changed a lot of that back, and and became true to himself. Mm-hmm. Coaching is a learning process, you know. And I think he learned something last year, and and so that's that's the good to come of that is that he probably had a moment where he's like, I have to be true to myself and coach the way I feel like I need to coach. Yeah, I think that's absolutely accurate. Um, I think he was asked last year at one point during the season what happened to 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 start that change. And he basically said, and this is it's not a direct quote, but I remember some of these words is exactly what he said. He basically said he went in there and told the team, the day after the game, he says, okay, guys, we've been doing it your way, and now we're going to do it my way. That's what he told the players. So, yeah, I think he was taking – like, the fan base was on him about all those players transferring right. and things like that. Right. And, yeah, there were some players transferring out of the program who didn't like him. Um, he should have accepted that. That's all part of a coaching change. It's it's um, human nature, you know, to, to – To not like your your yeah. your. Yeah, exactly. Uh, especially as like somebody who has been somewhere as long as Beamer had, and, yeah. and by the end of his coaching career, Beamer wasn't—he was more of a laid-back, not up in your face type of coach. You know, the he was not all over the players all day long like he would have been when he was a younger coach. Yeah. So it was a huge, huge transition from from Beamer to Justin Fuente. And it's not like Fuente is a taskmaster either. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that was uh, that's the big thing is I think to for anybody whether this is an individual or whether it's a team, you're you're not going to have success unless you know who you are. And and an, a, another subtlety to add to that is that before he told the press that he thought the team had gone soft, he told the team right he thought they'd gone soft. I I don't think he's a guy to play games through the media. Nah. Um, I think before he says something like that publicly, he'll tell it to his team privately. I don't think he's a guy to play games at all. <laughs> True. To be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, I know he, he doesn't give away a lot during press conferences and anything, but I would have to imagine that if you're a player playing for Justin Fuente, he's probably just as about as straightforward as, as you can be. He has a sense of humor, but he's not a joker. Right, right. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> So the Hokies are seven and three since they lost to Duke last year, and Duke is two and nine since losing to uh, since beating Virginia Tech last that's, year that's in that Friday night game. So so hard to believe. We can turn the page from that 2019 game, folks. We're going to take a break on the Tech Sideline Podcast. When we come back, we preview the zero and three Duke Blue Devils. It's all coming up on episode 137 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Your official law firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go. Hokies. Welcome back in episode 137 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Great to have you with us as we record on Thursday afternoon, October 1st. 
1-0 Virginia Tech at 0-3 Duke. The Hokies look to move to 2-0 on the season. Evan Hughes, Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, and we've got Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes. For those watching live on Facebook, start dropping those questions now. We will have plenty of time to get to those at the end of the show. So the Duke Blue Devils, 2-9 since beating Virginia Tech last year in Lane Stadium. They're 0-3 on the season. Lost 27-13 at number 5 Notre Dame to begin the year. 26-6 loss to Boston College. And last week lost 38-20 to UVA And what was the Cavaliers' first game of the year. Chris, I'll start with you. What should we make of this winless Duke squad? You know, there, there's two ways to look at it. Number one, you know, the whole you are what your record says you are type thing. I mean, that's accurate, right? I mean, Duke's two and nine. They're cert- they're not any good. Like they're they're a bad football team. When you're two and nine over the course of eleven games, you're you're bad, right? But they're also you can be bad and also not be far away from being pretty decent at the same time. You know, at the end of close, almost the end of the third quarter last week against UVA, Duke was winning that game twenty to seventeen. They had the ball first and ten at the UVA twenty-two yard line potentially about to go up by 10 points if they score a touchdown there. On that first down play, they try to trick play with a wide receiver who threw an interception. UVA goes down the field and score, and that was the first of four consecutive turnovers by Duke. So they go from be about to be up double digits against UVA going into the fourth quarter to losing the game by 18. Um, that's how quickly a game can, t- can turn. So Duke is bad. But they're also they're also fairly close to not being good, but they're fairly close to being average. And they they could probably be an average mediocre football team if they would stop turning the ball over, which they've yet to do this so far. What jumps year. out to you, Will, when you look at this Duke team? Yeah, well, we just uh, posted our uh, before we started recording the podcast. We posted our game preview, and so because I'll go look at that and read the turnover stats. It's not just that last quarter against UVA. They've been turning the ball over at a horrendous rate. So there's there's 72 teams currently playing college football, currently in the team rankings. The number 67 team in number of turnovers has six, correct? Uh That's correct. And Duke, five spots later at number 72, has 12. They got twice No, they got 14. 14! (laughs) It's even worse. And and while we were recording the podcast, they probably turned it over again. They're probably up to 15. Oh, by the way, guess who's next to last in turnovers? Uh, NC State. Georgia Tech. Go ACC. <laughs> Exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and and when Chris talks about it's it's possible they're not that bad, that's what I think about. If they stop turning the ball over, they will hang with you. And they, Well, they did it with Notre Dame. They hung with Notre Dame. I think, uh, I think that game was 20-13. to 27-13. Bryce didn't throw any picks that game. And I saw a little bit of that game, and they had a really well-designed play to Noah Gray to set up a touchdown. And they kind of looked like what I thought Duke would, would yeah. look like, a really well-coached football team that just wasn't quite talented enough to win. I'll agree. Well, I've, since then, they've been a well-coached football team that just turned the ball over left and right. And right. they're going to get trounced if they do that yeah. because they're not talented enough to overcome I, it. I watched a little bit of that Duke – Notre Dame game, and I was actually pleasantly surprised at how Duke just seemed to kind of hang in there defensively against yeah, Ian yeah, Bull. I mean, I thought yeah. they actually played a, pre- a 27-13 is a pretty 
fair outcome. I mean, they were competing the whole game. The game was in question in the third quarter to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about their quarterback here, Chase Bryce, who's a transfer from, from uh, Clemson. Clemson, right? Mm-hmm. And so his numbers on the year, he's completing fifty one percent of his passes, fifty nine for one hundred fifteen, seven hundred and twenty two yards, two touchdowns through the air, and six interceptions. Yep. David Cutcliffe has developed. Quite a few quarterbacks in his time. He's worked Peyton Manning and Eli Manning. He's gotten Daniel Jones to the NFL. Is Chase Bryce someone you think that could be uh, the next great Duke prodigy? What do you see from him <laughs> in the quarterback? I would say he's a senior and he's throwing two touchdowns and six interceptions. Probably not. And they they have a junior backing him up who's – I'm sure we've got his name listed somewhere um, – who is a junior. He's a junior. Um, Holmberg? He, no, he's a sophomore. Uh, what's Katrinick. Katrinick. Uh, yeah, redshirt junior. And, and he's only thrown 28 career pass, passes and completed only 10. So with Chase Bryce playing that poorly, you start to ask yourself, at what, at what point does uh, David Cutcliffe, you know, like in the old cartoons, stick the hook out from the side of the stage and, and pull him off the field? Um, I, I don't, I know, I don't know if his options, if his backup options are that strong. Um, you know, it's kind of surprising because he was such a highly touted prospect going yeah. into Clemson. Well, and I, I remember when they got him at Duke, you're thinking, gosh, offensive mind Cutcliffe. A Clemson transfer, Bryce, but uh, I'm yeah. sorry, uh, but it, it hasn't really translated uh, much he, in the first got, three games. He had decent, he had pretty good numbers at Clemson, but obviously that's garbage time with Man. five star players around him and things yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm, of course he can come into the game in the fourth quarter and light up the Citadel, right? With, right? with Clemson players around him, I did see him play once in a real game in a real situation for Syrac- for uh, Clemson, and it was against Syracuse. And their starter had been knocked out of the game. And Syracuse had beaten them in the Carrier Dome the year before. And Syracuse was winning this game in Death Valley. And he had to come in and play. And, like, he won the game for him. But it was, like, when I watched him play, like, he wasn't that good. He had a, he had a couple plays that turned out to be the difference. But on the whole, he wasn't very good, yeah, in and, my opinion. And that was a situation where Trevor Lawrence had, had – had gotten hurt. I think he got a concussion. Right. Kelly Bryant had transferred out. Yeah. I think so, it was yeah. the week after. He oh, it was, it was too. It like was really... Kelly Bryant had transferred out like four days earlier. He just yeah. transferred out. And so they go to, they go to chase Bryce and he manages to get the win. So that's what they're looking like at quarterback. You look at this Duke offense as a whole, they're averaging just 13 points per game. Uh, Chris, it's not good. What, 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 I mean, this is a team that's had good receivers in the past as well. I think about Jameson Crowder's panned yeah. out well in the NFL. Is this a team that's got good receivers? No, I don't think so. Mm. The thing is, Jameson Crowder, kind of, it's been like seven years since he's been there, right? He played in that 2013 game against Tech. Yeah, um, hard to believe. Twenty thirteen. Yeah, so I don't know if he. I don't know if he was a senior that year or not. But it's been at least five or six years since he played for Duke, and they haven't been able to recruit find the talent of like the, find the talent of Jamison Crowder. Um, you know, du, you know, Duke is like Duke's going to recruit a certain level. Uh, it's like Wake Forest back in the day. Their recruiting class looks the same every single year on paper, and sometimes you get lucky with a couple of those guys and turn into stars, in which case you can win the ACC like Wake Forest did in 2006 when everybody else in the league wasn't any good. Mm -hmm. Or if they don't, then you're just struggling to be a 500 football team, which is kind of what Duke has, has turned into. And I think they've they've got a really good tight end in Noah Noah Gray, uh, Noah Gray who they say could be a second or third round pick. Um, I think uh, NFL draft scout even lists him as like the number one tight end prospect. Like he's a really really good player. You don't really know it because of the overall offensive struggles at Duke. Uh, they got a couple good running backs. 
Their offensive line, the right side of their offensive line is pretty good, uh, especially Hamilton. The left side of their offensive line has been bad. Like, I, I don't think Casey Holman is, like, a natural offensive tackle. I think he's more of a guard type who should be play, who could play tackle in a pinch. Like I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure why they're playing him on the left side because I don't think he's he's quite good enough. Mm. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I think they do lack. They don't quite have the talent at the skill positions that they used to have, and obviously, when that's the case, you need to be operating at max efficiency at the quarterback position, not turning the ball over, not making silly mistakes. You got to do every little thing right. So you can get the most out of your talent, and they're certainly not doing that right now. Real quick to go to Noah Gray, I just looked this up. So this is uh, NFL Draft Diamonds saying that, quote, Noah Gray wears number 87, and he looks very similar to Travis Kelsey, who's the star (laughs) tight end for the Chiefs. I know that is comparing him to the best tight end in the NFL, but I feel deep down inside Gray has the potential to be a Pro Bowl tight end in the NFL, close quote. Also list that he's played 1,306 career snaps with the Blue Devils. So Very Very experienced player. I've always been impressed by him, yeah. Yeah, and, and I like Deion Jackson, the uh, tailback, is listed as a starter for them. I'd, I'd definitely take him on my team. Yeah, Jackson's good. I think uh, Durant, his backup, is is, is pretty good, too. Uh, yeah. They could they could both catch it out of the backfield. Uh, Jackson had a big game against Tech last year, and Gray. Of course, who didn't have a big game against Tech last year? <laughs> <laughs> so Jackson has 175 yards on the ground so far and 98 yards for Durant. So they, both, they do like to use both of them with Jackson being the lead back. Yeah. That's accurate. And if you look at the receptions, it's the tight end Gray with 13 for 152, and then the next guy, Calhoun, with eight catches, 105 yards. So, yeah, I don't think they have the wide receiver talent that they used to. Sometimes you can't tell, though, if your quarterback's just not completing a high percentage of his passes, but maybe that's a reason he's not completing a high percentage of his passes. But just the way Duke has struck me the last few years is, is yeah, they're, they're extremely mediocre when it comes to skill position talent. And every, like every big play they generate, all the success they have is due to, you know, Cutcliffe. Like being just a really good schematic coach, and they did have Daniel Jones at quarterback. Right, right. It's just uh, I was just thinking about he that. just didn't have. I didn't think he was that good at Duke to be oh, honest I, with I, you. I and then he goes to the NFL, and I thought he was a better. He seemed like a better prospect in the NFL than I ever thought he was at Duke because yeah, well, he just didn't have good players around him at Duke. I remember the, the game in Durham two years ago. I thought Daniel Jones played a pretty good game. His receivers just didn't help him. There were a lot all. of drops that yeah. game, if I remember. Well, yeah. well, the main difference in that game is both teams went deep a lot against single coverage, and Tech's wide receivers went up and, and caught the ball, and Duke's receivers couldn't do it. Plus, uh, Rambo had an awesome touchdown. That was another difference in that he game. Did. So that's yeah. a look at the Duke offense. The Virginia Tech defensive line is going to need to bring a lot of grit when they go to Durham <laughs> on Saturday. It's time I, for our uh, promo read. For those listening, we've got a grit shirt and a grit hats. And Will, it's great to have grit on board and a grit mask. How I could I forget? Mask, look at all this grit gear. Uh, Will, it's great to have them on board this year. Now, we got ours for free, but you can buy yours at gritgear.com, I believe it is, you know? You can find the link on our site, as we've said many times, you uh, go to our site. If you're on your desktop, you can't miss their ads. If you're on your phone, you have to, from the menu, select uh, um, more our sponsors. And they got this stuff in stock, it's good to go, and uh, I wear my Grit Gear hat all the time. 
There you have they it. Y'all look like a couple of NASCAR drivers. <laughs> it's <laughs> like people only do things because they get paid. <laughs> <laughs> let's transition to the Duke defense, where I think we're going to spend a decent amount of time talking about this Duke defensive line yeah, yeah. Uh, that is headlined by Victor uh, Dimakaji, the six foot three, two hundred and sixty five pound senior at defensive end. All of the, their four defensive linemen: senior, senior, redshirt junior, senior. Chris. How good is that defensive line? Uh, Demokeji is a good player. Uh, projected as a late-round NFL pick right now. Second week in a row, the other team's best defensive player came down to Virginia Tech and the other school in the recruiting prospect and picked the other school. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it was Aleem McNeil. Was it Aleem McNeil? It was yeah. Aleem McNeil last week. <clears throat> that, that went down to the wire between Tech and NC State. This went down to the wire between Tech and Duke, and Victor just wanted a Duke degree. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's going to get gonna, one. Gonna get, he's going to get one. He's also going to get drafted. I wish Tech had gotten him. Yeah, um, yeah. He's a good player. He'd be starting for Tech. Um Honestly, you'd probably have him at one end and Justice, Justice Reed, Reed on the at other the end. Other, yeah. And I say that, and Emmanuel Belmore was our highest-grading defensive player against NC State. So it'd be a nice problem to have, I would yeah. say. Um, I don't know much about the other guys. They are experienced. Ben Fry is small for defensive tackle. Um, so you would – I don't think that's – 6'3", I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a great matchup for, for Duke being that small. On, so do you have any idea if Demokaji is going to line up across from Tenuta? I don't. Don't know? Um, well, uh, I, you know, I, I used to know things like that, but we run so much content these days that I don't have time <laughs> to go back and look at the team's film anymore. So that's why we pay Brandon Patterson, though, and tomorrow we will be running a Brandon Patterson article who will give you more detail on on Duke as far as how they line up. Only like $8.49 a month. Such a great time to be part of the Tech Sideline family. <laughs> Another ad read. Uh, so, you know, it, it should be a good test again for this Virginia Tech offensive line. I think that might be the matchup is to see how this offensive line does against, again, another stout defensive line like NC State had. Yeah. Um, the, more, the more games they put together back-to-back or back-to-back-to-back running the ball well, the more confirmation we'll have that that unit is is legit. Um, like I, they're clearly much better. How much better is we'll see. Like I think there's some certain things about NC State. I don't think that's going to be one of Tech's more difficult defensive opponents this year. I'll put it that way. The th- I don't I don't think the three three five stack holds up as well these days. As much as it did back in the day when it was really designed to confuse man blocking schemes, and, and teams are primarily zone blocking schemes these days. And and I love Charlie Wiles. I think he's a great football coach and was great for Virginia Tech. But the bottom line is he's coached one style of defense his entire life, and I don't see how the Charlie Wise Wiles style and the three three five mesh. With so, players that weren't even recruited. To with run it. right, right. So you've got like you got Ole McNeil who was recruited to play Virginia Tech style defense. Now now playing for Virginia Tech's coach or Virginia Tech's old coach at NC State playing the nose position. Playing the playing the old West Virginia defense instead of right, a right? it's just it's thing, just yeah. this I don't know it's it's kind of a mess in my opinion. Um I, I don't know that that's going to turn and, out and, well. And time for will NC tell, State. yeah. Yeah, time yeah. will tell. But uh so sometimes like Wiles is a really good coach. 
And his defensive line just gave up 314 yards rushing. It's not necessarily because he's a bad coach. It's because he's coaching a scheme that he's never coached before because he's under coached under one person his entire life, basically. And and by the way, there was a really cool picture, and I think I put this on our message boards, of Charlie Wiles meeting with the Virginia Tech yeah. defensive lineman yep. after the game. Uh, I saw Narelle Pollard in the picture. Um, I think Kendricks might have been there, somebody else who was obscure. And he recruited those two guys himself because yeah. they were from Florida, yeah. and he recruited Florida. Yeah. So, you know, no bad blood there. The guys got together and said hi after the game. He's that's as awesome. likable a guy as anybody that's come through the tech program. Well, and Dave Dorn said that, and we talk, I think we talked about this on a podcast last week, that, that Charlie just brings a, a levity and a good yeah. sense of humor to things. And you need somebody to take the pressure out of the room, and he's that guy. He can, but, he can certainly do that. But, so. ba- but back to your question. Um, Tech is not going to rush for 314 yards every week. If they do, they're not going to lose. I mean, <laughs> they'll be undefeated going Chris right Coleman into with that a bold prediction. So I didn't get to mention this on the podcast the other day. Virginia Tech, on a per-game basis, is number two in the nation in rushing. They've On their one game, they've averaged 314 <laughs> rushing yards. And Army, I believe, is first with 320 point something. So Virginia Tech is six point something yards behind The Army. triple option offense. Army. Now. If you remember, Virginia Tech had the football at the one-yard line against NC State, and they had 320 yards rushing. Mm. If they had scored a touchdown, they would have had 321 yards rushing and be number one in the country. Instead, they took a knee on a shotgun snap and lost six yards, and that's why they're at 314. <laughs> so if, if, you, if you're rude, for lack of a better word, and, and shove it down NC State's throat, hey, you're number one in per-game rushing in the country. Yep. Yeah, real quick. It'd be nice to be, but it is what it is. But at any rate, I don't think Tech is going to have as much success against Duke running the football. Yeah, that's my short answer. Again, their uh, defensive line, all seniors and a redshirt junior. Okay, wrapping up with the Duke defense here, and then I promise we're going to get to the Facebook Live questions and wrap things up. Plus, we got to get predictions in. Can't forget about that. Uh, Michael Carter the second, another one of mm-hmm. those players you got to look out for on defense for Duke. Five foot eleven, hundred ninety pound senior. Uh, he's somebody the Hokies have seen quite a few times the last couple of years. Uh, well, one of the biggest issues for Duke two years ago in this game was that the Hokies didn't see him. He missed that game with an injury, and. Virginia Tech lit him up, and they're a better team. He's a consistent player. He's been a three or four year starter, probably like a four year starter for them. He's, you know, he's a, a, senior, a little, little so. bit smaller than you would think a safety would be, but he's a projected late round pick. He's a, he's a good, good, hmm. solid player. So I think he makes them a lot better when he's back. On the whole, like I think the Duke defense is somewhere between like average and slightly above average. Uh, like I don't think they're dominant. Wise, yeah. But 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 the thing is, like, they they are smart guys. They're so balanced. Like a lot of teams, some teams you see, oh, they're ranked twentieth against the rush, but they're one hundred twentieth against the pass. Duke's rankings are pretty much the same all the way down. So it's like they don't have a strength, but they don't really have a weakness either. So and and sometimes that can make things a little more difficult for offensive coaches because if you if you face a team that's awful against the run or awful against the pass one or the other then you know exactly what to do yeah. right this this is a little bit different duke is is very very balanced uh but you know I, I trust our staff to have a good plan for them and everything um i think uh i i don't think they're great in the secondary but i don't know how good tech is at wide receiver either i have nothing to add to all that that's a very good rundown 
Uh, last thing I will say, special teams, redshirt freshman punter, and a redshirt freshman kicker. Quite the contrary to uh, Brian uh-huh. Johnson, who's going to be wearing the 25 this week. Uh, I saw that on Twitter. I'll bring that up. And Oscar Bradburn, who's a senior. So it looks like Tech has the upper hand in special teams. You, well, you, you would think uh, their PFF special teams rating so far is very, very good. They're fourth in the ACC overall in special teams. Uh, the place kicker is four out of five with a long of 47. Not bad. The punter is averaging 43 yards per punt uh, with half of them going for fair catches. Opposing teams are averaging minus one yard per return on punt returns against Duke. So, so if Tavion it, Robinson gets anything, that's... It's that's, an improvement over what anybody else has done against Duke. Doing, yeah. uh, so Fuente wasn't now, happy wait a with, minute. That said, how many times has Duke punted as much as they've been turning it over? They've either been scoring... 14 punts. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, they have played three games. Yep. Well, they've either been punting or throwing interceptions. So that's 14 <laughs> punts, 14 turnovers. That's 28 possessions, and they probably scored on another six possessions. It's okay. not, not, not a good percentage. Uh, but Fuente wasn't happy... Was excuse me was not happy with Virginia Tech's special teams performance against NC State. The kickers did well. Brian Johnson did well. Oscar Bradburn did well. But Fuente didn't think they blocked well and just did the little things well. He like Khalil Herbert picked that one up that almost went out of bounds, and I was like, oh my gosh, please don't step out of bounds right there. And he almost stepped out of bounds, but mm. he didn't. Uh, it was a heads-up play by Robinson to knock the ball out of the bounds on the onside kick, but overall, Fuente wasn't happy with special teams, and that's not too surprising. Well, that's normal for your first game to be bad on special teams. Well, and I'm not saying it's normal for Virginia Tech, but there's a lo- been a lot of bad special it's, teams. It's play. not surprising when, like, you haven't been able to run full practices that if you're going to neglect one element of the game, it might be special teams. Yep. Well, Frank Beamer wouldn't do that. <laughs> the positive, uh, as we mentioned um, on the Monday podcast, and it was brought up in the press release, Brian Johnson owns 15 consecutive made 15, field goals. Uh, man. So, and he had a career-long uh, – uh, excuse me, uh, had a 52-yarder on uh, on Saturday against North Carolina State. I do not it's, it's, it's amazing. The guy couldn't make a kick beyond 40 yards, and then it's just on a dime. Now we can't miss one. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen so, – that's like – well, it's like the turnaround from the Duke game last year. You don't expect that kind of turnaround. You expect maybe a gradual change of course, but nothing to flip. Yeah, nothing. I apologize. I misread. Uh, so against NC State, he connected from 46, 49, and 29. But when his the first time wearing the 25 uniform, he hit a career-long 54-yarder to go along with a 40-yarder and a 27-yarder in the Belk Bowl against in the Kentucky. Belt Bowl, yeah. And so. it was wasted. That's one of the most depressing <laughs> things the, the, about four, the 49-yarder would have been good from at least 55. All right, we are moments away from getting to the game predictions. Duke and Virginia Tech Hokies trying to go to 2-0, and oh, but it's time for another ad read, Campus Emporium. Will... Tell our viewers and listeners about the polo you are wearing today. So I'm I'm not a model, but nonetheless I'm wearing. And you know I forgot who makes it. I think it's a champion. It's a champion. So it and so if you're somebody who doesn't like to shell out the bucks for the Nikes and 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 the Under Armors, uh, what I like about the champion is that it's it's a, a it's a good cut. That's one of the best thing about Nike and Under Armour is the cut and the fit. And uh, this polo in particular that I'm wearing, and oh, by the way, I bought it and I'm going to keep it, is um, also a very good cut. I like the way it fits, and it is – can't tell you right off the top of my head how much it costs. I, I should bring that information uh, to the to the podcast. But uh, as you might expect, it's it's cheaper than uh, than the Nike or the Under Armour. So that's – And yes. on Monday, we debuted the uh, 
Yeti, who's which is right to your right. It's actually not a Yeti. Somebody actually asked me that later. Said, "Is that is that actually a Yeti brand?" And I said, "No, it's not." But uh, this is the Vault Tumbler. Um, and I said on the podcast last time that I was going to put links for all this stuff in the YouTube description, and I did not. So I got to do that. So. If you like the shirt, I am not going to stand up and model it for you. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to get Chris Coleman to start wearing this stuff instead of me. Um, and the so, Vault Tumbler. Yeah. Man, this thing's got a really cool feel to it. It's powder coated, so it's got that slightly, it's got that tactile feel to it. So I will try to remember this week to put all of the uh, the links to all of the Campus Emporium stuff in the video description. All right. Before we get to Facebook Live questions, time for game predictions. Listen, I made Will and Chris do game predictions last week, and there was a lot of uncertainty. And I'm going to apologize publicly for making you do that because, listen, <laughs> well, I don't we, check the I don't check the boards often. We hadn't the, done our game preview yet. Yep. Yeah, and, and, and but given right. the circumstances, and everything, I was a little surprised that people were coming after you guys the way that they Man, were. So we're here we go. To. Game two, Virginia Tech at Duke. Listen, before the podcast, if you saw on Twitter. Will and Chris put two of these helmets on. So uh, I'm going to ask you guys, if you pick Tech, at least pick it up, maybe hold it like Corzo, and if you feel obligated, maybe even throw it on because you guys look good in those helmets. So, <laughs> Well, we have no Duke helmets here, so I guess it's fairly it's obvious one of the who other, we're going to pick. It's, it's pretty obvious who we're going to pick. Well, no, I'll say you don't have to. I'll only, I'll, so, Will Stewart, I'll start with you. Are you going with the Hokies? We will. Uh, yes, I'm definitely going with the Hokies. Uh, let's see if I can get this thing on my noggin. With the mask on, too. Okay. <laughs> For those listening, Will has one of our three helmets on. Okay, what's what's now this? I can't talk. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. I gotta take this. Thing off. <laughs> uh while he is taking that off, Chris Coleman, do you like the hokies this week? Now, wait a minute, I just know that that's gonna wind up on OxVT's Twitter feed. <laughs> you know it's coming. Well it certainly is now that you mentioned it. So. I, I will I will warn you that uh, Chris and I basically predicted the same score, so I'll let him go first. Okay. I picked a thirty one fourteen tech and I'm making my prediction based on I don't know who's going to be in or I, just if it, if everybody was healthy, you know, and everything like that. Um, the crazy thing is between the time I wrote my game preview and the time of this podcast, we got some information that would lead us to believe that that might not quite be the case. So I'm a little more concerned about the game right now than I was before this, but when I wrote, when I was but when I wrote the preview this morning, right. I'll stay with the same score I put in the preview just for consistency's sake, 31-14, to 14, and I do think Tech is going to win. But uh, I think it's going to be closer now than I did when I wrote that preview this morning. And all of the message board posters rejoice on oh, yeah, they, I'm sure It's been such a good week, and then I had to just dump cold water on them. I, yeah. I was, uh, I was getting a chuckle out of all of those posters going back after the game was over, going back. So, I, listen, I'm the one who made them give predictions without doing their prep. So put the blame on me <laughs> for last week. But they're picking the Hokies this week. Let's see who you're picking. Let's turn it over to the best producer in the land. He is Malcolm Stewart. It's time for our Facebook Live questions where you get to interact with the show and ask Will and Chris questions. Malcolm, what's going on, my friend? All right, we'll start with – oh, somebody new just commented. We'll start with Blake Branzell. Is it realistic to think that in a season where the QB position stays healthy that we actually see a two or maybe three quarterback system? Do all three get meaningful snaps, and who gets the majority? It's not – Ideally, like, the NC State game was ideal. Virginia Tech only had the ball 55 snaps. So, like, there's not enough snaps to run a three-quarterback system with, with, with that few. I, that I would them. counter that it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Quincy Patterson on the goal line quite a bit. 
No, I mean, I can see that. Well, although, although you know, is that really a three quarterback system or is that a specialized? Is that, that you know, let's bring in Greg Boone and have him run over somebody. You don't have to be a quarterback to run that play. Right, right, exactly. Quincy just well, one of the first players I remember in tech history, Greg Boone. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, Greg Boone's high God, school you're, film. You're, how old, what year were you born? 99. Man. Sean Glennon's the so, first Tech quarterback I can vividly remember watching. So, so the Braves are winning one to nothing. If they win this game, they win the series, and this will be the first playoff series they would have won since you were two years old. Man. So oh one, so, wow. amazing, huh? There you yeah, go. So, exactly. so let me say, if if you, I don't know if it's out there, but if you get a chance to see Greg Boone's high school film, watch it. He was a quarterback, right? In high he school, he is a grown man playing football with little boys. But so, but back to back the, to the back question. To... I mean, they're going to play two quarterbacks. Fuente said they're going to play two quarter. He, they're going to play Burmeister, and we don't know what percentage of the snaps or in what situation and things like that. But he's going to play. Uh, Outside of a short yardage or goal on carry here and there, no, I don't think you'll see Quincy Patterson. I mean, that that's just – it's too much, I mean, to play three quarterbacks, man. How many schools do that? We'd be the first. I mean, the, the only schools that do that are schools that they just are so bad they don't have any options, and we're not bad. Quincy's got one running touchdown so far, right? I predict he finishes the season with four <laughs> rushing touchdowns. Uh, okay, so we're going to set the over under at three and a half. Then uh-huh. I think right. it's a fair. I think it's a pretty good over under to set that's three fair. and a half. Yeah, yeah. All right. I think that's a. I think that was a pretty pretty good answer there. Thanks for the question, Blake. What else we got, Malcolm? All right, from Chris, and I know I've pronounced this last name before. Scaniello. If we crush Duke, what does that really say about the Hokies? Yeah. Hmm. Good question. I don't know. Everybody it says else that they're better than bad football teams. Yeah, right. Correct. So, uh, like, I think the ACC has an elite team in Clemson, and I think there are several teams that are good that are vying for the number for the number two spot. Virginia Tech's one of them. Uh, I think there's a large number of bad teams in the ACC yes. this year. I mean, last season Duke lost to Syracuse forty nine to six. A few weeks after they beat Virginia Tech forty five to ten. Right, so I don't think it would necessarily say very much if Virginia Tech hammered Duke, um, because Duke is one of those teams. If they play to the to the best of their ability, is going to be a mediocre football team. But if they don't play to their best of their ability, they're going to be a bad football. They're team. going to be a bad football team, and they haven't played to the best of their ability in about fifty three weeks now. I would I, say. So I will answer by saying this: um, um, if they if they crush Duke, it doesn't change my opinion about the the UNC game or the Miami game, any of that. Um, uh, Clemson is elite. Notre Dame's probably number two behind them. Probably. I don't know. I haven't seen them play enough. Um, I think Pitt's number three. Let me go ahead and say it. My prediction mm, the last week. Pitt Pitt has been impressive. I I would put I would put Virginia Tech, UNC, um, uh, Miami. Miami. Miami's in the AP top ten. Uh, you know, all in, all in a pile. I don't know about Louisville. Louisville's defense is so bad, but they do have some players on offense. Yeah, and Pitt in there. You know, that's so. To answer the question, regardless of what happens against Duke, I mean, even if they do crush them, I think Virginia Tech's still in that second group. I, I don't. I don't even. And I don't know what each team's schedule looks like. Yeah. Um, I don't know what teams like right now. Virginia Tech would have no home field advantage, right? But Louisville does have a home field advantage because they actually right? have fans. Because they actually have fans, so it's such an. Inb- College football is unbalanced to begin with because they play eight game conference schedules in a fourteen team conference in a normal year. It's that's bad enough, but this year they're playing more conference games. But 
things are still so out of whack because you don't know who's going to be playing each week in terms of COVID and contact tracing and all that. And you don't even know who's going to be coaching each week, apparently. Yes. And some teams are going to have a decent number of people at their games and some people aren't. Uh, so it's just so much unknown. Like, I wouldn't want to pick it right now. I mean, I think you just pick a draw a name out of the hat, and you might be right or you might not. Yeah. Fair to say. Still early. All right. From Brandon Smith, where does Tech truly fit in in the ACC power ranking? <laughs> uh, that's Packer's same. getting some heat for where he put Boston we're, College we're, this week. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I, uh, you know, the thing is, like, I mean, I think behind Clemson you've got those teams we just mentioned that they could look the like Virginia Tech probably looked the best out of all those teams this past week. So you could have had Virginia Tech number two in the power rankings after this week, after last week. This coming week it might be different. Like it could that could change on a weekly basis based on who plays who. Um, so I don't know, man. Uh, I, I, I'll, I'll commit. I, I think you, you, you've, te- you've seen them around fourth or fifth in the power rankings, and that's where they were in the preseason media predictions. Mm-hmm. And I'm comfortable with that. Uh, one of the things about what following a team closely, and Chris talked about this earlier, is we see the flaws in Virginia Tech. Um, I haven't watched Miami super close. When other teams are on, I have it on, but I'm typically doing something else. Mm-hmm. Miami looks really good, but I don't know their flaws. Florida State is terrible. I know that. They're atrocious, and Louisville can't play defense. So how good is Miami, really? Right. You know, and then when I watch Miami and I see Quincy Roche making plays, I think to myself, oh, man, I wish that guy had gone to Tech. I'm not really paying close attention, you know. So, but I'm – I'm kind of where everybody else is, around number four or number five. The more interesting thing in the ACC this year is, like, what if what if American sports had promotion relega- relegation? It's like, who in the ACC would be getting relegated this year? Who's the worst team? Because there's a number of candidates down there. Mm. Florida State, Duke, Duke Georgia, Georgia Tech, Tech. NC State maybe even. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Georgia Tech's Syracuse, got a Wake Forest. Georgia Tech does have a win. But that might be their only win, the way they've looked I'm since suddenly, then. It was against Florida State, right? Oh yeah, it was God. against Florida, Florida State. It was worst, awful. Florida State's the worst team in the ACC. That's quite possible. But I still think if Florida State played Duke tomorrow, Florida State would out-talent Duke. So who, who would who would drop? Who would get rele- relegated to FCS? So you know how Miami, <laughs> you never knew, you, and you still don't really know what to expect from Miami because they would show up one week and play great. And, oh, it was just eight months ago they were losing to Louisiana Tech and FIU. Right, right? You know, so you never know what they're going to get yeah. from it. And Florida State's kind of in that same place right now, except they're not playing well at all, like ever. Oh, they're so just it's atrocious. Just, yeah. Anyway, the, I'm, I'm around fourth or fifth. Good questions. Malcolm, is that about it? Uh, we'll do one more from Stephen Haas. What is the ceiling for this team? And will Hendon be the QB1 going forward if Burmeister keeps playing well? You know, I, I think he'll be the QB1, yeah. Um, how much is Burmeister going to play? We don't know. Um, I, I do think that it, rotating quarterbacks this year, that it makes it, it helps Fuente make that decision because we don't even know how much either guy was able to practice during August. True, we know, the only time we know that team was healthy and together during the preseason was like after one week of practice when they had a scrimmage, and we heard that Burmeister was the best quarterback at that scrimmage, the very first scrimmage of August. And then after that, everybody started dropping like flies and going out to contact tracing and things like that. We don't know how much either quarterback was able to practice. We don't even know if they could throw to their full complement of wide receivers, et cetera. So it's, it's really hard. It can be really hard to judge to compare two quarterbacks when 
neither one of them is practicing all the time. Um, and you, they don't have a complete offense around them, right? So you're going to learn a lot more about both guys now that they're going to be playing in, in, in games. So I, I expect he, you want them both to play well, right? You want them to both to play very, very well, but it would be nice if one of them would just like go in there and dominate and make the decision easy. Well, you have thrown on a grit hat and picked up the gnome in the last minute. I think um, I, I find it interesting that Fuente came out at the beginning of the season and said he was going to play both guys. I think if he makes a decision to do otherwise, I don't think he'll announce it. I think you'll just see it on the field. Like, you know, let's say against Duke, he comes out and he only plays Hendon Hooker, which I don't think is going to happen. But let's say he's got three or four games, uh, you know, in the season and he plays Hendon Hooker an entire game. The media is immediately going to ask, is Braxton Burmeister hurt? And Fuente's going to say, bah, 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 bah. Then they're going to say, does this mean you're not going to play Braxton Burmeister anymore? And Fuente's going to go, bah, 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 bah. so I, I think you'll see both of them for a while, and then it might be a mystery after that. So we'll close the podcast with this. First of all, thanks to everybody for uh, asking the great questions as always. But I was looking on Twitter. Uh, there was a tweet from Les Johns who – uh, covers Wake Forest as publisher of Demon Deacon Digest at 247 Sports uh, and also has a podcast. And he tweeted, quote, Wake Forest coach Steve Forbes said in a program update call that ACC coaches have voted to wear polo shirts this season instead of suits, close quote, them. referring to men's basketball. In basketball, I okay. bet they never so go back to wearing suits. What do we think about you? coaches not wearing suits going to the polos? Uh, Buzz Williams Taylor is going to make less money this year. <laughs> 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 that, that's what do I think about that? I'm, I'm good with it. J- just for fun. Just Close don't it. wear sweatpants with the polo shirts. Yeah. Strange statement, you know. Um, gosh, I guess they'll... Be... Are, are they, uh, what I want to know is that are they going to wear the... Uh, you know how they go to the Maui, Maui Invitational? Yeah, with the Hawaiian year? shirts and the khakis? Uh, yeah, yeah. Are they are they going to wear that this year in the Maui Invitational in Asheville, North Carolina? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when, when I started my engineering career in 1987... Uh, the, the professional engineering world was transitioning from ties. They, they only a few of them wore suits, but they were transitioning from ties and dress shirts to polo shirts. Um, you know, I remember that there were still a lot of guys wearing ties back then. I was one of them. My, my, my engineering career, uh, at least the first seven years of it, I wore a tie to work every day. And these days, man, nobody wears a tie to work. You know, so this is the beginning. I'm telling you, man, chaos, bedlam. Somebody responded to this tweet. Love this. Suit slowly dying culturally. I'm good with that. They are coaching, not going to a Baptist church in 1982. <laughs> I mean, that's it's up to the co- I mean, Or a wedding or a funeral. Not, a, not every coach has subscribed to that anyway. Like Bobby Knight never wore a suit, Yeah, I was right? just thinking tonight. He wore a sweater. He just wore, he just wore a sweater. Uh, gosh, I want to – who was – Lute – not Lute Olsen. Uh, Majerus, the old Utah coach. I don't yeah, think he yeah. ever wore a suit. I think suit. he was a sweater guy. Uh, gosh, there, there have been a few others. P.J. Carlissimo. Uh, no, not Carlissimo. Uh, the St. John's coach. He was famous for his sweaters. Uh, Louis Carnesecca. Oh, Carnesecca. Carnesecca. Yeah. I, I guess Bob with... Huggins doesn't, according to this. Story. Oh, Huggins doesn't. Yeah. Uh, Louis, Louis Carnesecca was Huggins wearing sweaters care. back in the 80s, uh, you know, man. Huggins will probably go back <laughs> to wearing a suit now just because nobody else is. Right? But uh, uh, Who cares less, Mike Leach, Bob Huggins, <laughs> or Brock Hoffman? Yeah, I just – I don't think – I mean, you watch Buzz Williams during a game, man. His jacket was off 10 minutes. Ten minutes. How many suits do they, have those guys ruined uh, just from how much yeah. they sweat? Uh, so that's fine. I think it's up to the coaches. I mean, it, obviously there's no rule saying you have to anyway. 
That's the first basketball talk we've had on the podcast in months. Good to slow. I guess we loosely did mention the the format of the season coming up, but uh, that's on the horizon. We're not too far away from Virginia Tech. We did confirm yesterday that Virginia Tech's playing on a made-for-TV event in Connecticut, where the who's the Connecticut WNBA team? The Sky and what what arena they play in? It's a casino. It's a casino slash arena. (laughs) So. those are all over the place. So yeah, right. Uh, so I Connecticut Sun. The right. The Connecticut Sun. So the because arena when I they think play. Of Connecticut. I think of Sun. The the arena. Right. <laughs> the the, uh, the, uh, the casino that they play in, or excuse me, the arena that they play in is also a casino. And Virginia Tech would be playing in an event there at some point this basketball season. I assume early. I assume in late November, early December, something like that. We don't know who they're going to be playing or if it's a. If it's a tournament style, I assume it's going to be multiple teams. There's no, there's no reason to go all the way up there and play just one game. So, so, so this this podcast has gotten more out of control than a presidential debate. <laughs> we are well over an hour, and I will say we had a theme come up talking about Miami again. I still think at some point we can do a full podcast on the Miami Hurricanes. That would be very entertaining. So <laughs> let's uh, let's leave it at that. This has been a great podcast, episode one thirty seven. Our thanks to uh, the Fisher Law Firm, of course, for being the title sponsor. And uh, this was uh, another good episode. Hokies look to go two and zero this weekend. Four o'clock kick, ACC Network. Uh, Hokies on the road in Durham. And, uh, of course, we'll have uh, coverage on TechSideline.com. Be sure to follow at TechSideline on Twitter uh, for tweet updates. Everyone's tweeting. You guys are tweeting. Jake Lyman, uh, of course, Corey Van Dyke. I mean, great ways to stay up to date on social media. So, gentlemen. And and guys outside our umbrella like David Cunningham, uh, guys like that do a great job. Absolutely. Uh, Hard to skip a beat when you're on Twitter trying to get Hokie content. So, any closing thoughts before we sign off, gentlemen? No, uh, other than in a, a you know, I hope and think things will proceed well. My my pick, by the way, was thirty-one to sixteen. Chris's is thirty-one to fourteen. I swear we don't read each other's stuff before <laughs> we pick. It's just kind of the way it goes. I think things will continue. I hope things will continue on the right path this weekend, and and then uh, you know the one against UNC next week is a big one. Absolutely, yeah. uh, that'll do it for episode one hundred thirty-seven of the Tech Sideline Podcast. For our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, the best producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes, saying so long. Thanks so much for watching, and enjoy the game this weekend. Have a great week, Hokies.